It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. I think I don't I don't do drip or money or fashion. I do arts. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 674 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, March the 4th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We have team-focused shows covering all 30 NBA teams, all 32 NFL teams. I think just about every team in baseball and hockey as well, with one or two exceptions. But that is constantly changing and uh, we might have those shows filled for you in no time. Uh, so please, if you find a show on the network that you want to support, please subscribe to it, rate it, and review it wherever you get your podcasts. It's very, very much appreciated. And again, we just have a lot of stuff out there to you know keep you entertained all through the sports calendar. If you're an NFL draft person, lots of draft coverage going on. The Combine was going on over the weekend. I don't care about that, but you might. So go and subscribe to, listen, uh, rate, review all the uh, the lovely NFL shows we got going over on the NFL side of things on the Locked On Network. Uh, all right, on today's show, the Toronto Raptors just finished up beating the Phoenix Suns 123-114 without any centers, with only one a one-eyed point guard, I guess. We, like, Kyle Lowry missed a part of this game, came back, uh, and was amazing. Pascal Siakam got back to form, and uh, lots of nice things happened in what was kind of a very stressful watch of a game until the very end when the Raptors closed it out. And joining me to talk about the win from the Dishes and Dimes podcast, you know her as at Carmelo Drama on Twitter. It's Yasmin. Yasmin, what's going on? Not much. Thank you for having me. Super happy to have you on the show. This is uh, <laughs> exciting. Dishes and Dimes is blowing up the world, so uh, thank you for hanging out with the little people. It's great. Uh, <laughs> super happy to have you. Um, so, yeah, let's get into this game against the Suns. It was, you know, the news comes down before the game that uh, Fred Van Vliet and Serge Bach are going to be out again, and you're looking across at DeAndre Ayton, and I'm sure, like me, you were thinking, hmm, how do they deal with that dude? He's a large man. They had issues with uh, Nikola Jokic in the last game as well. Ronda Hellas-Jefferson didn't really cut it as the starting center in that one. It was kind of OG Ananobi who was the, the main guy who gave Jokic problems on Sunday, and Nick Nurse responded to that by changing up his starting five. Ronda Hellas-Jefferson comes off the bench, and Patrick McCaw slides into the starting five with OG Ananobi lining up as the center to start the game. And, you know, this was a weird one. It didn't start out super well for the Raptors. Kyle Lowry gets hit by Terrence Davis. Only, like, I don't know, five or six players actually play well for the Raptors in this one. The bench doesn't give much outside of one guy who gave everything who we'll get to, but um, they ended up pulling it out anyway. Yasmin, what was your sort of biggest takeaway from the Raptors' 43, 43rd win of the season? Um, uh, There's a few things. Um, it was good to see uh, Pascal kind of bounce back from the rough stretch he's been having since All-Star break. Um, he was just, uh, he made some mistakes early on. I think he had four quick turnovers in the first half. 
Um, but he found his footing. He was super de- decisive, which I think is when he's at his best. He's making those quick passes. If he wants to drive, he's deciding to drive because that split second he t- takes um, longer to make his decisions kind of allows the opposing defense to set. Um, but when he's decisive, it keeps everyone on their toes and it gets the offense buzzing. Um, it, it was nice to see OG on a center because I think it's a, always like a curious look because he has like that such a strong base and he has the wingspan to contest shots. And we saw it with Jokic, we saw it against Aiton. He, he did amazing. Um, and it's, it's tough. It's tough working out centers because you have to collapse because you have such a size disadvantage. But also you have to get out to shooters and it's super taxing and it's hard to see them scramble and kind of mess up coverages because it, it's very disorganized and that's the only way you can compete without a center. You have to be super disorganized, you have to make decisions on the fly and just seeing them deal with that, it's, I think it ends up making them stronger because it's good to deal with the adversity at this point in the season. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely uh, trying times there in the first half. I think they were down as much as 17 at one point in the first half there. And, you know, like you said, there was a lot of scrambling. There was a lot of, like, wide-open Cam Johnson threes. And, I mean, I guess they drafted his 29-year-old ass only to shoot threes. So, I mean, he did his job, I suppose. And (laughs) it was just, you know, it was a lot of as good as I think OG did. And I think OG was much better equipped to guard Aiden in the second half. Um, I thought the Raptors really struggled to sort of match up to the size and sort of overpower rate, and I think they did a good job in the second half of, you know, relying on a little bit of sort of a cooling down from the Suns from outside, but also, I think, quickly scrambling out to contest after doubling Aiton and giving OG some help and being pretty disciplined with those rotations in a way that they weren't really in the first half, and, you know, it really showed. And uh, Aiton seemed really bothered late in this game. He unfortunately left after OG fell on his ankle to pick up his sixth foul of the game uh, in a play that I was really concerned was going to turn the game for the Raptors because it brought in Chris Boucher, who... I thought was amazing in his first couple stretches of the game. I guess it was his first stretch, actually. He played like 25 straight minutes of game time between the uh, the end of the first quarter, start of the second, and the middle of the third. But the yeah. uh, just like the what happened when you had that lineup out there to close the game with OG out and you had Boucher and Patrick McCaw both on the floor, I was very fearful that bad things were going to happen. And instead, Chris Boucher hits a dagger three in the right corner after Kyle Lowry passes out of a trap. And then McCaw finds his way to the rim for one of his only buckets of the night. And I mean, I guess we can talk about McCaw. I don't think he was particularly good in this game. He was, I guess, admirable enough late to to stay out there especially with the struggles of Rondé and Matt Thomas and and Terrence Davis in this game so there weren't really many other options for Nick Nurse to go to um but I don't know did you have the same sort of like feeling of despair when OG fouled out there at the end of the game and Boucher came back in because it felt almost like it was too good to be true, the original stretch that Boucher had. You know, he came in, the rim protect, the rim protection totally changed. They actually had some, which was nice when he entered the game. Yeah, uh, he the, was dominating. Yeah, and the rebounding was huge as well. Um, did you fear that maybe we weren't going to see sort of a, a, a reimagination of that, that first stretch for Boucher when he came back in in crunch time? Um, yeah, because he would have to shoot, and what we, we he's a... 
he's capable in the sense that he has confidence when it comes to shooting, <laughs> but he, he doesn't have the most reliable mechanics and he's kind of um, hot and cold when it comes to that. So it was just a matter of can he hit these shots? And they were relying on him when it came to those looks to kind of pull away from the Suns. So when OG went out, like, I, I kind of panicked because, you know, the opposing team has a premier scorer in Devin Booker who can literally close a game for them. Um, and I was worried that he'd be heating up and that he would, you know, switch um, onto a less capable defender and shoot right over them. Um, but, you know, they managed. They ma- managed. Um and I think Kyle went on to uh, Booker and dealt with him and did uh, decently enough since he didn't manage to close the game. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I, um, sorry? No, go ahead. Sorry, I thought you were done, but keep, yeah, carry on. I, <laughs> no, I was just going to say that, um, yeah, Boucher totally delivered. They just needed him to hit those threes. And just seeing him dominate on the glass when they needed him to, it was good because um, he's had like a tough stretch of games. Um, Nick Nurse mentioned that. Um, the bench has been struggling lately, and it's totally true. Um, Boucher has had amazing moments this season, um, but he was not delivering lately, especially when they need him because they literally have no center. So <laughs> it's his, it's his chance to you know earn minutes, and uh, you know it was good to see him finally deliver. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Absolutely. It was uh, a really, really fun Boucher game. One of those sort of games that stands out over the course of the season, and kind of reminds you of the fun that all the injuries have at times sort of created just out of necessity this season. Um, I'm not sure I want to see the Raptors have a six-man rotation in a game against the Suns in uh, early March ever again, but, you know, for the instance that this was, it was pretty fun, and watching Boucher have that game was quite a delight considering how just, like, necessary it was for him to have that game. Like, he doesn't have that game. I think they completely kind of get blown off the floor. The game changed in the second quarter when he entered and really was just like disrupting the rim and the the offensive rebounding at six offensive rebounds in this game. I mean, it was just everywhere and it was great to see. Um, you, you mentioned Nick Nurse calling out the, uh, the bench guys. One for three is good, I guess. <laughs> there were some not-so-great minutes from Matt Thomas and Terrence Davis. I mean, there was a stretch there where Matt Thomas grabbed, like, four rebounds in a minute, which was nice, I suppose. But other than that, he could not really... Uh, he's he, a sneaky, good rebounder. Yeah, he is. He just, like, gets he, in like, there. He, gets up there. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, an extremely YMCA rebounder, right? Like, the small... Yeah, like, very... He kind of... <laughs> He sails up there really, like, he glides up there. It's very fun to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was weird. I think they were trying to get him going a little bit because, like, they needed <laughs> When he's out there, you want to get him going. That's the point of having Matt Thomas on the floor. But they couldn't really do it. It wasn't through any fault of, like, Kyle Lowry. I think Lowry was almost just, like, going out of his way to try to get looks for, for Thomas. And, then, like, there was a couple instances where... Like the ball went through Thomas's hands when he would, in a normal situation, yeah. catch Literally it. Or <laughs> yeah, it was a little bizarre. But uh, so we didn't see much Matt Thomas after that stretch. And then Terrence Davis, he engendered one of the most like angry Nick Nurse 
face captures of the season so I far. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, he threw up like an air ball and a pull up three and he did not see the the floor once like, ever again. I think he, you know, was benched from the start of the second quarter on or thereabouts and yeah. uh, kind of deserve it. I thought Terrence Davis was pretty bad. Yeah, he was, he was very chaotic, just kind of all over the place. And that's the thing with Terrence. Um, a lot of fans wonder why does Nick Nurse have such a short leash with, you know, such a promising um, pro- prospect uh, rookie. Um, but he has, like, he has, like, an inner brain-dead chucker in him. Like, he's <laughs> something that you just kind of need to, you need to tame it, especially while he's young. And I think that having a short leash on, Terrence will actually benefit him in the future because he makes some kind of crazy decisions which oftentimes turn out amazing where he has like 30 point games but other times um, it will cause him to like kind of look off people or wave off screens and take pull up jumpers so yeah I, uh, I'm i on record saying I think it's very cool that Terrence Davis is either uh, 0-4 from the field or, like, t- 10 of 12. <laughs> I like that there's <laughs> literally no in-between ever with him. It's pretty cool um, and a way that I like to live my life. Uh, <laughs> so other sort of notes on this game. Uh, we mentioned OG and him fouling out and him guarding uh, Aiton really well in the second half. I-, I-, I thought, you know, OG didn't have 4,000 steals in this game, but... You mentioned Booker and sort of the fear that you had when uh, OG fouled out that Booker, Booker was going to go off. I think it's worth noting that in this game, OG guarded both Booker and Aiden and just kind of oscillated back and forth between the two, depending on who was on the floor. If Aiden was out there, you know, OG was down low. If he wasn't out there, he was out guarding Booker on the perimeter. And, like, it's gotten to the point now where I think it's pretty clear that OG's the best defender on the team. I mean, maybe when Marcus Saul's healthy, that changes the equation a little bit. But, um, yeah, I've been sort of thinking about this all season long as to which Raptor is going to be rewarded for having the second-best defense in the league with an all-defense spot. And I'm starting to think it's probably going to be OG with the way he's just doing it at all different positions all over the place, just sort of doing what's needed based on the injuries and the guys who are or are not available. Uh, are you sort of in line with me there, thinking OG might be the guy to get the all-defense nod if a Raptor is to get one, which has literally never happened in the history of the franchise? That's, that's wild. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, I Yeah, just because of um, games played. But I, I mentioned this the other day that um, I, I think that Mark is the best defender on the team just because of, just of the... Um, just because of everything that he does, it's not just on ball and team defense. It's also just kind of orchestrating everybody and kind of yelling at everybody on where they need to be. And he's just kind of like the, I don't know, just kind of like the head of the octopus. <laughs> I, I can't really describe it, but um, just based on games played, um, I think it, it would definitely be OG. He's been phenomenal. Um, I thought he was really aggressive this game, probably because he had to be, um, which caused him to fall out at the end. But um, he's been phenomenal. Before we are, we always knew that OG was a great on-ball defender. But just seeing the leaps he's made this season with his team defense and how um, he executes his rotations and his decision making has just been phenomenal. So I, I think he should be rewarded. The forward spot is kind of loaded this season. I feel like there's so many great defenders in the league. Yeah. So I won't be shocked if he's snubbed. Um, but he's, you know, he's been present most of the season. So. Um, 
I, I do think that he should be rewarded. We should be, you know, kind of planting it in the media or something now <laughs> in order for him to get the rightful accolades. But, um, yeah, it would be a shame if he got snubbed. He's been so great. When OG is named a second-team all-defense player, he can uh, mention this episode of the podcast as the uh, origin point yeah. for his case. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, part of his story. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, OG was great. He was a lot of fun. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, you mentioned Pascal off the top as well. I, just to sort of piggyback off that, I mean, he played 43 minutes. It was needed. He had to be out there for those minutes because, man, they had nothing oh, else yeah. when he wasn't out there. Um, and I, I just thought it was a really refreshing game from him. I, you know, it's not like it's up against the greatest defensive competition in the world, which still remains the biggest question mark with him. But to see him kind of rediscover that, you know, just like that killer instinct a little bit where it's just like, okay, this guy can't guard me. I'm going to, you know, shake him off and bury a pull-up three in his face or I'm going to drive on him and he's going to foul me. Uh, it was a really encouraging style of play to see from Pascal where he, I think he's had a bit of trouble balancing passivity with aggressiveness and he's kind of leaned a little bit more towards the latter. Uh, sorry, towards the former. And it's just been... It's been a little bit rocky lately, as we've all discussed, but it was uh, a nice return to form for him. And I thought a big part of it was, in particular, how he worked with Kyle Lowry in the pick and roll, especially late in this game, where it was pretty much a guaranteed bucket every single time. And we're, I don't know, like, what, 15, 20 minutes into this podcast, and we have not yet mentioned Kyle Lowry, who was... Oh, I could go on and on. <laughs> we'll save the rest of the podcast for Kyle Lowry, because holy God, uh, even after getting hit in the face and coming back blurry-eyed and everything just a, a killer performance from Kyle. it was man i was so so sad and mad i was, I was disappointed with terrence davis with the falling fingers i was uh just perplexed at the number of dudes who've been hit in the face all season long didn't matter though because <laughs> kyle comes back 28 points five boards six assists eight of 19 <laughs> shooting four of eight from deep eight of eight from the line and like I said, running pick and roll with Pascal Siakam to score basically every single time down the floor late in this one, um, whether it was, you know, taking advantage of defenses of the defense selling out to try to, you know, stop Siakam on the roll to just drive and get to the rim, whether it was finding Siakam on the roll, he was doing it all. And uh, I don't know, just wax poetic on Kyle Lowry in this game because it, there were so many things that he did. That, I mean, just not even the scoring the defense, the, the the one play he had where he, like, stripped the ball from DeAndre Ayton and, like, fell to the ground, and it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Um, I don't know. What were your thoughts on Kyle's game tonight? Because, uh, man, he kicked ass. Oh, yeah. Um, it was good to see him playing like himself again because um, I've maintained that he hasn't looked right since coming back from All-Star break. Um, just kind of um, when, when Kyle is playing like himself it's not really a matter of his stats it's just a matter of his um his rhythm his pacing like something just felt off about it so to see him just have a regular you know chaotic messy kyle game which is kind of um giving you everything on 
both ends, putting his body on the line, um, a little bit of dramatics, as with going to the locker room twice and coming back out. <laughs> um, it was just like, it was the whole Kyle experience, which was great. Um, but yeah, that like you mentioned, that Kyle, Pascal, Piccolo, that they've been going to that late in games, I feel like, since mid-January. Uh, and it's, it's pretty hard to guard because Kyle is somebody with gravity, um, Pascal is great at ro- rolling to the rim. He has long strides. He has long arms. He gets to it with ease. Um, so it's good that they have that go-to look that they can get a guaranteed bucket or foul out of. Um, and with Pascal, like I could just go on about <clears throat> about his um, the discrepancy in his play between um, you know maybe a top ten defense versus a bottom ten defense and. Um, me and Kelsey actually are releasing an episode tomorrow about it for Dishes and Dives, so I I suggest everyone listen to that because we're going to talk for a while about it because I can go on and on, but um, just seeing him, it's just a matter of confidence, I think, and being decisive, and I feel like good teams can throw looks that kind of throw him off his rhythm, whereas bad teams are kind of just like scrimmages for him. So if, he, if someone is uh, capable and premier score versus bad teams, I feel like they can translate it to good teams if they just learn counters um, and kind of just trust in their skills. And um, I feel like it's going to come in, come together for him because he's already shown a capacity for growth and development. So I think it's just a matter of being patient with him and kind of just enjoying this journey because I want to, you know, in two years or something, I want to look back on this year as his first year as the number one option and kind of just watch it and embrace that growth and say that you know i was there for the whole journey so i Mm -hmm. think fans should just kind of sit back and enjoy it i think that's a really good point i think it's worth looking back to similar cases of development in raptors history yeah i think demar is the one that easily comes to mind right where every year it seemed like oh yeah demar's kind of capped out he's done his thing and uh, look he never added the defense or the threes really that were the sort of keys to really changing his game but he would always add something and he would always improve upon what we thought was his ceiling and his capped out version of himself and i think like the raw tool siakam's working with between the pull-up three-point shooting and the insane defense and uh, the improving handle i mean the building blocks are just so much more obvious and useful in the modern NBA than what DeMar had. And so you're right. And I think you put it well to say that, you know, it's never linear. It's going to take some time. But nights like tonight, I think, really flash what the, you know, the upside can be. And I think the secret sauce for him sort of doing what he did tonight against better teams this season is often going to come as a result of sort of who he's playing off of. And I think it's not really surprising to me that, in recent times when they've been so bereft of talent around him on the roster that it's been a little bit more of a struggle than maybe we would like to see. But I think when uh-huh. you, you see in that Lowry Siakam pick and roll, those two playing off each other so nicely and the space you each each other provides and both of them being a threat to shoot from either the rim or from three out of that play, it just it's such a nightmare for teams to deal with. And imagine that when you, you know, circle the floor with Fred Van Vliet and Serge Ibaka and yeah, Marcus Saul and it just gets that much more dangerous when you have those other shooters and spacers and high IQ guys around it to, you know, offer options and make it that much more difficult to guard, right? Yeah, it forces um, opposing teams to just really make very quick decisions versus, uh, you know, guarding two great offensive players. And, it, and what I love is that the benefit of having um, a point guard backcourt where both guards are capable scorers is that 
Um, if one doesn't have it going, if one shot is not falling, you can just run it with the other eye, which has been like great for them because I've seen them execute it um, with Fred. Um, I don't know if you remember that recent Knicks game in Madison Square Garden where I think um, Pascal had a three to seal the to seal the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was with Fred. It was a pick and roll with Fred. So it, it's great that they have those options. And um, yeah, they've been executing it beautifully. I will say, too, Pascal tonight, uh, while he had the five turnovers, four of which came in the first half, as you mentioned, uh, he had some uh, really, really nice finds when the defense sent extra bodies his way. There were a couple where he kind of waited for the double and then just, like, whipped a pass across court to the corner. You know, sometimes it was Patrick McCaw waiting in the corner, and there's nothing you can do about it. But, you know, the the process is there, and it's a good idea. Uh, and there were, I think, three or four of those, like, really, really next-level passes from Siakam tonight that uh, all point to things trending in something resembling the right direction for him. Um, lastly, we should probably talk about Norman Powell. We haven't mentioned his name yet. Oh, yeah. And uh, maybe that kind of goes to the consistency he's sort of cultivated this season. But he had 26 points on 8 of 15 shooting, 8 of 9 from the line, 4 assists. He had the dagger dunk late. Uh, He got to the line, I think, in in crunch time. That was a big sort of momentum-stemming trip to the line uh, to slow down the Suns. I mean, I guess this is just Norm now. This is the third stint this season where we've had to come to grips with maybe this is just what Norm is now. But... Uh, I mean, he just looks so confident. He looks so polished finishing around the rim these days. Like, he doesn't look like he's one-track minded anymore. He can sort of see where a defense is and react to it and then sort of offer a counter before a defense even has something to throw at him. Uh, He just, he looks so, so good right now. Do you, like, how do you figure Powell fits in assuming they get to full health? Like, he, he almost feels like he's wasted as like a 20 minute a guy 20 minute 20 minute a night guy off the bench maybe he won't be that but um like there are so many players that this team has to throw out there i mean he just seems like he has to be a big part of everything because he just is so so reliable nowadays which it's so ridiculous that we're talking about a reliable version of norman powell like what year, <laughs> like what year is this what is going on uh and who body snatched norman powell to create this like just metronome of efficiency yeah um He's tremendously overqualified for coming off the bench. And I feel that way about Ibaka, too. Like, just, like, there's no other team in the East, at least, that has that kind of reinforcement. Uh, Like, a capable starting shooting guard coming off their bench who is as polished and efficient and just slick as Norman Powell. Um, I think that's what struck people, like, as fans this season, is that whatever Norm would run towards the basket and drive, you know, straight down to the lane, um, we would always panic because he would be stripped immediately. Like, it was a guaranteed turnover at that point. And now, like, he has, like, that front rim layup that just always goes in, and he has a floater, and he has all of these counters from every angle that used to just kind of perplex him, uh, where he would be caught mid-stride, and he would, you know, get the travel and stuff. But it seems he has every move in his bag this season. Um <clears throat> and yeah, he is wasted as a 20-minute-per-game player, but what's awesome is that if he has it going, he's a bona fide closer for this team. Like, we've already seen him do it multiple times this season. We saw him do it tonight. Uh, I think this wasn't his best game. I, I Like, I think there was a stretch where Kyle wasn't on the floor, so they literally had no point guards available, <laughs> and he had a couple of ugly turnovers when he was forced to kind of dribble up and run the offense, which is not, you know, maybe something that he could add later on, a tighter handle and 
um, you know, maybe some sort of crossover or something that can help him out with that. But um, he, this is just the new normal for him. I think he's the new normal. Ha. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. You're canceled. I'm sorry. sorry. It's late. It's late. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, no, I think this is just a leap for him. Um, he was like, what, 22 when we got him? Yeah. When the team drafted him? Yeah. Yeah, so he's progressing as you would hope. You know what I mean? And he went from being a guy whose contract was kind of like, how do we get out of this to, oh, my God, what a deal do we have? Like, this is a total asset. Um, whether they keep him um, or trade him for something awesome, like, they have, like, a great contract on their books right now. But um, going into the postseason with someone like Norm is such a secret. And, and um, we're talking about all of these um, potential, like, I, I think, the top five, I'd say, of the East is so even talent-wise. Like, the Bucks are the tier one, but it's so even that having a card like Norman Powell, like Sir Ibaka, is just so vital, and I think it puts the Raptors over the edge. Yeah, it really is, like, uh, an amount of creation that, you know, if Siakam's struggling, if he's going through it a little bit, I mean, you have that in norm and maybe he's not great from like the the second level per se but he's a great three-point shooter he's a confident three-point shooter he's you know obviously as we talked about so good at the rim now um you're 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 bang on in saying that he is a uh, pretty nice little weapon to have to you know potentially change a series and change the tenor of a series so um very glad to see norm come back from the injury and continue to do what he's doing he's been great um this podcast was great yasmin thank you so much for uh, coming on this was a fantastic debut for you very happy we could finally get you on the show where can people check out your work um dishes and diamonds podcast it's on all of the podcast platforms um there should be a new episode tomorrow night that i'm recording with kelsey um and yeah, thanks for having me. This was awesome. Hopefully the first of many. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, listen to Dishes and Dimes. It's great. It's a fantastic podcast. Uh, and you don't have to listen to dudes talk about basketball, which, man, what a nice change of pace. Uh, <laughs> that's going to do it for today's show. You can find me at Woodley Sean. Subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. It's very much appreciated when you go and do that. Um, of course, keep an eye out, Raptors.com. I will likely have my first piece for Raptors.com coming down on Thursday, maybe Wednesday, but probably Thursday. So keep an eye out and uh, download the app and get those push notifications right to your phone when my stuff hits raptors.com. And uh, yeah, that's going to do it. Thank you so much. We will talk to you again on Thursday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.